Nurses and Hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. Back in 2017, in the infancy of the Nurses and Hypochondriacs podcast, we recorded an episode on Valley Fever. It was trending at the time, with 14,000 cases being diagnosed in California and Arizona. It's really hard to diagnose. It's actually a fungus, and it's called coccidiomycosis. It lives on a speck of dust, and once the winds start blowing, it can get carried and ingested into your lungs. Many doctors have a hard time diagnosing it. It affects certain people worse than it does with others. And when we recorded our podcast, we had on Julie Solis, who is an activist on Valley Fever in Bakersfield, California. And also one of my good friends, Abner Vilches, who is a nurse practitioner who practiced in Bakersfield, California, and even was in the prisons and worked in the prisons as a nurse practitioner. Well, as luck would have it, Valley Fever is making a comeback. There are a few cases being diagnosed in the Central Valley, Fresno, and Bakersfield again, and some cases in Los Angeles. And we have on again, Julie Solis to tell us all about the latest research, all about the latest bills that have been passed to get more education on Valley Fever. Stay tuned. Sequels. Some of them are good. Most of them are bad. But on the Sequels Revenge podcast, we're here to celebrate all things sequels. Host John Coulomb and Bill Posley bring on a guest to talk about their favorite movies, and then we pitch a sequel to it. It's a sequel that nobody asked for, but one that we'd like to see. Then we go away, write the first five pages to the sequel, bring in a table of actors to read it. So if any of this sounds appealing to you, you should download Sequels Revenge podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play stores. Welcome back, nurses and hypochondriacs. And here I am in Bakersfield on a location with none other than Julie Solis. Welcome to the show, Julie. Thank you. Thank you for having me and welcome to Bakersfield. Thanks. It's uh, very interesting out here in Bakersfield. Well, Julie, you are a returning guest. The first time we had you on was way back in 2017. You were one of our honorary inaugural guests on the show when we started the show back then. So, uh, yeah, and we're going to be talking about... Valley Fever. Valley Fever. And so this is our second episode on Valley Fever. Quite a bit has happened since 2017. And when we had you on the show in 2017, there was a lot going on with Valley Fever. There was an epidemic here in the Central Valley in California. There was over 14,000 cases. I remember Governor Brown at the time had vetoed a bill, right? An educational bill. He shut it down to get more education on Valley Fever. So uh, what all has been going on since then? And kind of recap on why you're on the show and why you're such a big Valley Fever advocate. And oh, yes, it's Wednesday. And Wednesday is? 
Wear your shirt Wednesday. It's Valley Fever Wednesday, right? Yes. So thanks for having me back again. Um, so much has happened, but um, I really got into Valley Fever uh, after my husband's misdiagnosis. So um, Christmas time, 2007, my husband got sick. We thought it was the flu. Uh, they didn't know what was wrong with him. Fast forward six months after so many misdiagnoses, they told him he had the flu. Then they were looking, uh, they said he had bronchitis, then he had pneumonia. Then they didn't know what was wrong with him. So they started testing him for tuberculosis, AIDS, HIV, STDs, and they didn't know what was wrong with my husband. June 8, 2008, on my husband's deathbed, they found valley fever. It had moved into his brain. The past 12 years, my husband's been living with chronic coxymeningitis, uh, also known as valley fever in his brain. Uh, they estimate one to three percent of people who get sick actually get it in their brain, and of those one to three people, one to three percent people, uh, they usually don't make it. And so my husband's actually been very lucky that he's been a survivor of it. Yes. And when we had you on the show, you had started the Valley Fever organization, correct? Mm -hmm. And you're a huge advocate of Valley Fever. I mean, I consider you my spirit guide because I love watching you on Facebook and going into these meetings. And people are like trying to push you out. I mean, you do so much for Valley Fever. You're so educated on Valley Fever. Your husband is suffering from complications of Valley Fever. But what is up with these people and shutting you down? I mean, after we had even recorded the episode, I got a few people reaching out to me. And they're like, don't have that woman on. You should shut down your podcast. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And I looked at who these people were and they were like really nobodies. I mean, you work with physicians talking about valley fever you put on a symposium educating people what is going on with that well you know anytime you try to challenge the status quo because see valley fever we don't talk about there's a lot of economic consequences to valley fever um, people who are doing construction projects uh, you know, they're afraid that if their employees are going to get sick, they're going to get sued. Uh, folks that, you know, own farms, they're afraid that their employees are going to get sick. So there's a lot of consequences to talking about valley fever. I refer to it as a dirty little secret because nobody wants to talk about it. And valley fever is not to be blamed on anyone. Uh, valley fever is an environmental issue. And so, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of consequences and backlash for speaking out about awareness. There is a need for awareness. And, and so that's where I get a lot of those repercussions from. But they haven't stopped me. Um, it actually motivates me to keep going even harder and louder uh, because I know that there's a reason that people want me to stay quiet and and they may have their reasons and and all the reasons are different but it just motivates me to even want to be louder in my voice yeah we all have our first amendment rights still and i think i was watching kathy griffith's uh show on amazon and she has this comedy show i forget what it's called uh and and she said something that's so genius and she's like the only person that is allowed to tell you to not speak is Gwen Stefani because she had that song, <laughs> Don't Speak, right? I, I mean, she is really the only person 
that is allowed to say don't speak because that is her song but we do still have our first amendment rights and something like that happened to me when i was putting together rogue nurse media i did have a phd professor from unfortunately my alma mater where i went to school with and and that was the school i wanted to go to as a child um and and it was someone from there who told me that i couldn't speak right she picked up on my learning disability and my speech impediment and she said that I would never make it in the media. All right. But here I am. <laughs> and you're doing fabulous. Uh, thank you, Julie. <laughs> Julie, you're just amazing. So I just want to go over some recent research that I've been finding out. And it seems like there was an epidemic going on in 2017. There was a lot of talk. We talked about that bill. And then it kind of went a little bit silent until now, which is so interesting that we're happen to be here i happen to be working in bakersfield we're here at the marriott that's why it's a little bit loud in the background uh and we're talking about it again and look there are articles trending again on valley fever so can you tell me a little bit about what's in the media now and why it's hot again like any new bills you know what's going on um in politics with valley fever so, yeah, so, uh, you know, the preliminary numbers came out. For Kern County, we're at 3,120. We're expecting for those numbers to rise because those, those, are, patients. Are, those are people confirmed cases in Kern County of Valley Fever. Um, there are some people that may have gotten sick and been sick in December, like my husband, who wasn't diagnosed until the following year. So we're absolutely expecting for that number to rise even more. Um, but across California, the provisional number is also 8,736 confirmed cases. Wow. Um, you know, Los Angeles has actually been trending in, in uh, Valley Fever cases. Um, I've spent quite a quite a bit of time down there. Um, I've been driving there uh, anywhere from once to twice a month lately, and that's because there's been a lot of work along that 405 freeway. Oh, wow. And so when you come up here to Kern County, you notice there's a lot of dirt everywhere. And I think that accounts for why there's uh, so many high cases of valley fever. And I've noticed where there's a lot of construction, there's clusters of sick people along where the 405 is down in Los Angeles uh, by Beverly Hills in that area. There's been an uptake of cases in that area. Well, it's fascinating. Well, the first time I ever heard of Valley Fever was when I was sitting poolside in Palm Springs at my other residence there. And uh, the guy, the custodian that comes and takes care of the restrooms there, it's his business. He's like the restroom manager. He owns this business and he services all these uh, HOA restrooms all over. Uh, the desert area and you know we were sitting there and uh, we just started chit-chatting and uh, that's just me people from all over the place just start talking to me and he started talking to me and he s heard that I was a nurse and he started telling me that he had valley fever and he had worked in construction and that's how he got it never knew he had it and uh, every time now I see him I mean he looks pretty amazing you know uh, he's very healthy but he does have uh, outbursts or not outbursts but he does have um flare-ups flare -ups. there we go that's the term flare-ups where he gets sick you know and he doesn't feel so great and he has to really work on his diet and his meds and and stuff like that so absolutely uh that's one of the common things that i hear from survivors are those flare-ups um you know a lot of it i think is brought on by stress 
mm-hmm. uh, by just con- living conditions. Um, but flare-ups is something that's huge in the community. Uh, there is currently a gentleman, um, and he's... 68 I believe and he lives out in Las Vegas and he had valley fever as a child and the doctor told him he was cured um, told his mother that he was cured because mm-hmm. he was he was moved on from it and so his whole life he would get these periods of time where he was really ill and it was always misdiagnosed um, and wow. about 20 years ago they diagnosed him with rheumatoid arthritis and so he's you know in his late 60s now and he's just been living in terrible pain and it wasn't until just recently he found out that it's actually valley fever his titers um, it's not rheumatoid arthritis and it's valley fever and so the you know misconception of a cure there's no cure for valley fever if you've had it once it's it can always come back i'm just going to go over this article that i pulled today from ucsf it seems like they're doing a lot of research there and the article reads valley fever is on the rise but no one knows how it picks its victims and we talked about on our last episode that the most common people that it does attack our um, the Filipino population, correct, and the African American population, mm-hmm. and it does affect their lungs and 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 the Latino population, but very small mm-hmm. in the Latino population. So what it is is it's a spore, it's a fungal spore that is found in dirt, coccidiomycosis, right? Coccidiomycosis, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it goes into the lungs and it morphs, it mutates. Mm-hmm. And it it just kind of starts embedding itself in the lungs. And it just, what does it do? <laughs> it eats holes in your lungs. Oh, my God. terms. Literally. Um, I've, I've met countless people who have holes in their lungs from from the spores um and for some people it gets into your bloodstream it can disseminate throughout your body that's how it ends up in some people's brains and their bones and their joints and their muscles and their organs a valley fever can move disseminate any part of your body and that's why early diagnosis is key um you know here in in Bakersfield when you know my husband was sick for over six months he was misdiagnosed I never heard of the words valley fever until my husband was on his deathbed Uh, and then when I asked what was valley fever the doctor told me to google it Um, so that's how I was educated on valley fever Um, but about three months after my (laughs) husband was diagnosed uh, we noticed I noticed my daughter Marisol who was in second grade at the time she was really just kind of looking like she's being lazy, I guess I'd say. <laughs> and uh, so about the second day or so, I asked, you know, Marisol, why are you not out there playing? And she said, Mommy, I'm so tired when I wake up in the morning. It feels like I want to go back to sleep again. Because I knew about valley fever, because I was educated and I knew the signs, I immediately called her pediatrician, brought her in and had her tested. And she turned out to be positive with valley fever. But because she was diagnosed early, she never missed one day of school. She never missed anything because of valley fever. And she's now 18 and flourishing in life because she was diagnosed 
properly, timely, and that's why Valley Fever awareness and education is key, you know, especially when we live in California where it's an endemic area. Um, you know, cases like in Los Angeles this year for 2019, there were over 1,000 cases wow. um, in Los Angeles, and that, and that I attribute to not only our climate change, but mm-hmm. also all the construction that's been going on up and down the state, and, and so I think that that correlates with it. Um, you know, when we see studies, the study that you're referring to um, from the University of California, San Francisco, um, uh, you know, we're now going to start having tons and tons of questions in research because of the recent bills. Um, so AB 1787, um, Assemblymember Rudy Salas has done an absolute wonderful job with Valley Fever. Um, and that one is for the reporting guidelines. Um, so by April 15th of each year, um, the uh, each county health department is responsible for having all the information to the California Department of Public Health so that we can get accurate numbers, so that we can have an actual uh, procedure for getting these numbers. It's been one of the biggest issues. And that kind of goes along with AB 1790, which is that Education and Early Diagnosis Act. Um, See, we, we don't talk about Valley Fever much. It's nothing that we're educating our physicians on. And so physicians are learning about Valley Fever uh, by meeting sick people, by learning about it from each other. We're not actually educating and, and requiring physicians to be treated. And so that's what this bill has done. Um, we also have AB 1788, um, and that's also helping to confirm cases. See, if you would go to one health department and you'd go to a separate county health department, they were all, all doing it different and independently. Huh. There wasn't a procedure in place for a reportable disease. Even though it is a reportable disease, we were not streamlining it. So everybody was kind of going rogue and doing their own thing. Um, And then um, recently, we had AB203, and that one is occupational safety. Um, I am so happy that Assemblymember Rudy Salas has done this work, although in the Valley Fever community there was a lot of concern when AB203 came out, and the reason for that is because in the bill it didn't have any protections for our field workers, our oil field workers and our, um, and our field workers that work within our food. Um, they don't have the same requirements in OSHA as a construction field. It's more oh, wow. aimed to construction. And uh, when it was originally written, it was going to be for all outdoor workers. And then it kind of got a little bit, you know, how they change it and influences get in there. And so um, we're hoping that once we start seeing improvement on the way valley fever is getting reported in our early diagnosis um, we do plan to come back and and to protect all workers not only in the construction field but all of the workers you bring up a good point there those are all great bills and i've seen rudy solace's uh flyers up mm-hmm. talking about valley fever and several of the restaurants in the area uh, talk about some of the industry here. What, what is the main, what is Bakersfield known for? Bakersfield is known for our oil and our ag. 
those are, are really our thriving part of our communities. Um, we, you know, our biggest industry, and, and that's why with AB203, it was disappointing that our two biggest uh, you know, jobs are, we're not covered in the bill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, construction is also a really big thing. You know, we're booming in construction here. Um, there's, there's always construction going on, but what really fuels and feeds our economy here and our people is oil and ag and they weren't included in it. And so that was, you know, disappointing, but I, I'm glad that we're at least getting started. There's always going to be more work to do. And so, uh, we're grateful for what we have, but you know, I meet a lot of oil workers who get sick out there and ag as well. Um, And a lot of what with our ag, the biggest concern is a lot of them are are undocumented. And so they're afraid to go to the hospitals. They're afraid to go, you know, seek help. I met a gentleman, his wife, uh, he actually left to Mexico sick. He went to the hospital. And this was about six months ago, went to the hospital. They admitted him. And as soon as it got dark, he unplugged himself. He took IV out and and he went to Mexico. He was afraid that he was going to be deported in the hospital. And so when, you know, when I hear stories and I meet people, it's just heartbreaking, you know, to, to know that we have this illness that that's really not preventable because we breathe. There's nothing we could do to avoid it. And it's really nobody's fault, but it should be up to our leadership and to the leaders in the community to really be educating us about it. You know, I should not have found out about Valley Fever on my husband's deathbed. I should have been known because my husband was in the construction field. My husband, you know, we lived in construction, but nobody told us about it. We were never educated about it. And this article that I pulled from UCSF, it says that the valley fever spore can be carried on a speck of dust. And doctors before thought that it was lung cancer Mm -hmm. until they started looking deeper and deeper and saw that it was valley fever and it was caused by these spores, these fungal spores. Um, so, yeah, that's that as I'm here segueing. And um, so it's really endemic in Fresno as mm-hmm. well. Uh, and yeah, so there were 14,000 cases back in 2017. It's coming back again you know, because of more cases, because uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in Los Angeles or finding cases out there. So what else besides the bill is going on? I mean, you put on a symposium Mm -hmm. this uh, just a few months ago. So talk about that and talk about what you did there. So it was our uh, second annual a Valley Fever Symposium. We're already planning for our third one. Um, but, you know, we called it a community discussion um, because it was really just a, a discussion from the heart. Um, you know, when we talk about, you know, these these cases, the last year, 2019, the 3,120 provisional cases, um, you know, numbers are great, but there's nothing like hearing a person's actual story. There's nothing like actually seeing the people. Um, this year, it was 
actually really unique because we had um, Michael. He's a two-pound chihuahua. Um, so uh, him and his mom came and uh, Kelly. So the chihuahua had valley yes. fever. Mm-hmm. Yes. So animals pets. can get valley fever as well, yes. right? Yes. Um, uh, last year, uh, two dolphins in Arizona passed away from valley fever. They opened up a new zoo in Phoenix and uh, a couple dolphins passed away. Wow. We've had some sea lions off the coast of Pismo, uh, San Luis Obispo area that have also passed away. Um, there was a giant ape at the Los Angeles Zoo, I believe in 2017, 2016, that passed away wow. from valley fevers. So animals um, also are susceptible. So in this article, it says uh, about 1% of people the disease becomes more serious spreading outside of the lungs to the to infect the skin bones other organ systems um in its most deadly form of the disease the fungus reaches the brain called a meningeal infection and patients require antifungal treatment for life and your your husband is on antifungal treatment for life correct yes yes uh four pills a day keep my husband alive Wow. And those pills are the same pills that cause other complications. You know, I, I, I sometimes try to explain valley fever in very simple ways. And, and I try to explain valley fever um, because it is a relative to mushrooms that grow in our yard. And so I tell people that imagine a weed growing in your yard and we put Roundup you know, on the weeds. Well, Roundup kills everything around it. And so it's the same kind of idea when we're talking about valley fever and the treatments. You know, the medicines are toxic themselves. Um, they they hurt your organs. They, you know, they really can cause many side effects. And they can be just as dangerous and as deadly as the actual disease itself. Um, but those four pills give my husband skin cancer. Uh, so he battles that um, along with just you know, I, I tell people, you see the outside, we just can't see the inside. So if you're shocked at looking at what it's done to the outside of his skin, just imagine what we can't see on the inside, the condition of his organs, um, the condition of the inside of his body, of his brain. Um, you know, as we age, our brain shrinks. Um, about two years ago, they said my husband's uh, brain size and activity was of an 80-year-old. Oh, wow. Um, and, and at the time, he was 42 years old oh wow in you know here in the research it says it affects certain people differently than others like your daughter has recovered Mm -hmm. but then it affected your husband much more severely you know and they don't know why that is they don't know if it's genetics uh or anything or if this fungus just mutates in a certain way and they're doing many more studies on it just to try to figure that out and the correct name is coccidiodiasis imitis i mean i said coccidiomycosis that's a different one so i was wrong but um you know me and my speech impediment here, but I'm still going forward. <laughs> That's all we can keep doing. You're a trooper. Um, you know, uh, well, whenever I, you know, my hu- the difference between my husband and my daughter is that my husband was misdiagnosed and my daughter was properly diagnosed. And so I think that one of the biggest problems that we have within this is misdiagnosis. You know, uh, in Kern County, 
I don't know the exact reason why, but we just have a very difficult time uh, keeping doctors here, keeping physicians in this area. And so we have a lot of traveling doctors, a lot of traveling medical professionals. And so they come in from different parts of the state, different parts of the country, and they don't know what valley fever is. And so when they get in here and they're seeing sick people, if you're not educated and you don't know what valley fever is, you're of course you're not gonna be able to diagnose people. Um, Sharon, who's a, a volunteer, and she volunteers with me a lot. Um, when she got sick, she thought she was having a heart attack. Went to the emergency room, they checked, her heart was fine, but when they did a chest X-ray, um, they thought she had lung cancer. They were wow. referring her to a lung specialist and then it turned out that it was not lung cancer that it was actually valet fever and so i think that a lot of what our biggest problem is is this uh, not having education and this misdiagnosis had my husband when he first went to the doctor if they would have tested him for valley fever it would not have been able to disseminate into his brain his headaches and we believe the dissemination didn't begin until after valentine's day because he didn't start getting the headaches until then um, and so we think that the dissemination didn't happen until a couple months later um, so being able to know the signs know the symptoms and getting tested and and early diagnosis timely diagnosis is a difference between my daughter and my husband so i'm reading this research here and it's very disturbing it says by the year 2100 a warming climate will allow valley fever to expand throughout much of the western united states so it's no longer just going to be in a little small segment and i think in 2017 when we did part one of this episode the endemic areas were bakersfield and arizona mm -hmm. and now they're saying it's fresno central valley now we're going into los angeles already and god only knows where else it's spreading um and so also there's only 60 percent of the population that shows symptoms so you can be asymptomatic and still have it and not know you had it. Yes, I, um, you know, Bernice, another volunteer, um, she actually, before she had a surgery a few years ago, they did an x-ray and, and told her, did you know that you had valley fever? Because she didn't put it on her paperwork and she didn't know she had valley fever. She has a valley fever scars in her lungs, but she never knew she had it. She thought she had the flu. Um, there's so many people that they just think that they had the flu and it goes away. Um, we are still trying to do research uh, as as we were talking about earlier why some people get sicker than other people why are some people's immune systems able to fight it and why others aren't for instance my husband my husband's would would have been and was going to be a fatal case his body was not going to be able to fight it same thing with my daughters um, after she was diagnosed we brought her to a valley fever doctor here locally and he was really concerned for my daughter because he said that 
that uh, Dr. Johnson said that because Marisol's dad had it in his brain that she had a higher chance of it disseminating and that if our son were to get valley fever, he would even have a higher chance because he was a male if his father had it disseminated to his brain. And so we're still, you know, eager for this research to continue, um, hoping that one day we'll be able to distinguish and see why it is. Um, you know, I had reflected a, a couple of months ago and uh, my husband and I were having a discussion one night and I never really put a correlation between it before, but when my daughter was younger, um, she had an irregular heart rhythm and, uh, and out of the three kids, she's the only one that got sick with valley fever. And so I don't know if that little, you know, any kind of little defect in our body is just, true. you know, just small enough to, to make us susceptible to getting sick because my kids are a year apart. So they all play together. They all do the same activities. They all go to the same school. You know, there wasn't any, any huge contrast between the way that they were living, but yet she was the only one that got sick, even though they all played in the dirt together and all their activities together. Um, and my other two children, you know, they, they've never been sick. They have been tested and they've always tested negative for Valley fever. And the cost of valley fever or getting valley fever is astronomical. I mean, there's a, a recent cost of illness study that estimated the average lifetime cost for a person diagnosed with valley fever approaches $94,000. And uh, the estimated cost over a lifetime was $700 million uh, for those 7,466 Californians. Yes, you it's know, crazy. California, uh, the Californians, we're already paying millions of dollars a year uh, for folks like my husband. Um, you know, we had private insurance when my husband first got sick. Uh, after he was laid off, we had to get COBRA, and now we're with Medicare and we get a rider program to help. It's part of the reason that I don't work is because if I work, my whole check goes to the cost of keeping my husband alive. Right. And so if I don't work, we pay a dollar twenty-five for his medication and we just have to budget. And uh, his medical bills have surpassed a million dollars. Oh my gosh. Um, and, I can and imagine. you know, my husband's only forty five years old right now. And so it's you know, there there is a high cost to valley fever. And not only when we talk about cost, I know dollars mean a lot, but it's also the cost of just the loss of my husband. You know, the old husband, my my children's father, he went from being very active, being a very hands-on, a coach uh, for Little League, softball, baseball, soccer, you name it. My husband was always so hands-on, and now it, it's even hard for him just to be able to be present to watch a game. To By the time he gets ready to actually go out, he's too tired to actually, you know, go. So there's also there's just this cost of, of losing. It's, uh, you know, although he's not deceased, it's just really his whole life changed valley fever and the cost financially and just the way that you have to adapt and and just learn to live a whole new life with valley fever you know living with valley fever is is just very difficult especially when you are a young active family you know my children were robbed of their father 
Um, you know, my husband taught them how to ride their bikes and it just very active. And, and then, you know, they were in second, third and fourth grade when he got sick. They don't remember that, you know, they, they remember glimpse and, and photos, but you know, for the most part, they've grown up watching their dad struggle. And that's really hard. It's tragic. Mm -hmm. It's very it tragic. Working at the clinic here, because I'm one of those people that was transplanted here, and I asked my medical assistant about valley fever when I first started working at the clinic. And he told me, he's like, valley fever's no joke. It's real. You know, he's seen it. He's worked at other clinics in the area and urgent cares and he's had friends that have had it as well um my friend abner vilches uh, another nurse practitioner who had been on our first episode together he had worked in the prisons here and he had wor worked at several clinics in the area and he gave me a word of warning remember valley fever you know if you get those rashes or if you get those colds remember to look for it Moving forward, what's next? What are you doing for Valley Fever? More symposiums, more educational sections? Where can people find you if they need more information? So you can um, find us at Valley Fever Awareness and Resources. Um, if you search Google Valley Fever, we'll pop up Julie Solis. Um, we have a group of about 30 dedicated volunteers. Um, we come out into the community. We've actually been traveling the state quite a bit, um, you know, because Valley Fever, it just, it seems that... I don't know so much that if it's just trendy now, but I think that a lot of what it is, is we have invested more money into Valley Fever. Um, we've invested $7 million from our general fund of the state of California. So $3 million um, went to the Valley Fever Institute right here in Bakersfield. So we actually have an institute that's researching and starting to do outreach. See, before my group came, we didn't have any outreach. It oh, wow. was until community got together. Right. And we put that pressure on. And so, you know, what we started doing, this movement started to catch. So we have the Valley Fever, first ever Valley Fever Institute. A million went to the California State Department of Public Health. Um, and so as we speak right now, they're currently working on an awareness um, campaign that will be happening for Valley Fever up and down the state. Um, so uh, we've submitted some information. We've been helping them along, uh, referring people, getting some stories to them. So we've really enjoyed behind the scenes working with them, uh, helping to design the awareness campaign. Um, and then three million went to the uh, UC system for education oh, wow. for research and so when you see that UCSF uh, you know that's part of the three million investment into research um, I think that as we uh, continue talking about it and we research it more and we start really educating physicians I think the number in the cases are good going to continue to climb because we're not we're we're at that point we're starting to diagnose properly um i've heard from many people that our numbers are as the same or even higher as arizona the only difference is in arizona they're testing more people than they are here oh, so yes yeah, so once we get that going that our our physicians are educated I look for numbers each year to continue to climb. And and with this current, you know, we, when we talk about like other things that affect it, how you were talking about um, Dr. Goris's study about uh, by the year 2100, how it's gonna spread. 
you know, that has to do also with climate change. Right. You know, climate, I, I know, you know, the, it's climate change, depending on who you talk to. Some people believe it, others don't. But, you know, we have statistics, we have numbers, we have research that shows how it's really going to be affecting us. And so all that we can do is, is know the signs, know the symptoms. And if you're sick, if you are sick for 10 days or longer, you really need to discuss valley fever with your doctor. If, if you live in another state, you don't even have to live in an endemic area. I know you were talking about how the spore can actually travel on dirt. I've met people that live in other parts of the country that have received packages you that told we me shipped. You, that's yes. what we talked about on mm -hmm. the other episode where somebody got hay for their horses. Yes. And in the hay had um, valley fever spores and someone got shoes. Yes. Right? A lady in Ohio, she got shoes. And that worries me because, you know, we have a huge Amazon. Uh, right. You know, Amazon's, <laughs> it's going to be a oh shipping my gosh. facility and yeah. it's getting ready to open up. And, um, you know, we, we have a valley fever legislative team. Um, we're just a group of community members, survivors, supporters of valley fever. And we've actually met with our local um, leaders, our legislative uh, leaders and uh, our um, congressman, uh, TJ Cox and one of our requests is we'd like some sort of a label a warning when things are getting shipped out of endemic areas um had the had the lady in Pennsylvania got a warning maybe her horse wouldn't have passed away you know maybe she wouldn't be living with valley fever maybe if that lady when she received her shoes in Ohio if there was a label, maybe she would have known to got tested, you know. Right. So it just boils down to awareness and education. If you're sick, talk about it with your doctor. If somebody's visited you that they live in an endemic area, you know, it's as easy as them opening up their suitcase. They could have brought you a, you know, unforeseen gift of oh a my score. Gosh, yes. You know, they could, you, you know, you go to hug someone that came out of an endemic area. Spores can be in their hair. Inhale right into your mouth, into your nose when you hug them. Oh, wow. Well, it's been a pleasure, Julie, as always. And it was lovely having dinner with you and meeting you in person finally. Yes, thank you. And thank you for coming on. And thank you, everyone, for listening to Nurses and Hypochondriacs. Until next time, we'll see you later. The World Health Organization has designated 2020 as the year of the nurse and midwife. In honor of the 200th birth anniversary of Florence Nightingale. And did you know that nurses have an 18-year running streak of being the number one most ethical and honest profession in all of America? Rogue Nurse Media 501c3 is going warp speed into this 2020 year of the nurse. We're sponsoring art exhibitions, murals, networking events, movie screenings, and writing webinars to promote the positive image of nurses in the media. We'd love for you to join our team. We're looking for volunteers and sponsors to help us go forward with this amazing journey. For more information, email us at nursesandhypochondriacs at gmail.com. And oh, don't forget to go ahead and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. <laughs>